Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode, episode 72, trip planning in a COVID world and impolite things a house guest should never do. That and a whole bunch more coming up. But before we get going, I want to give a shout-out to some people who have really helped the show out incredibly this past month with support of $50 for Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. Jan Victorson, Jim Wiles, Michael Goodwin, Perry Bradley, Brian Young, Michael Clairout, Christopher Scarborough, John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you all so much. Any amount helps. Drop by our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com, and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker sent at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like you just heard me do just now. We do another show every week called Adventure Rider Radio. Drop by our website to see what's happening at AdventureRiderRadio.com. Now here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for January 2022. That. So let's so let's let's get going here, and um, here we go. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the boreal forests of North America, which are very, very, very cold right now. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our minds. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular, esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Sam Manicom in the UK. Hello, Sam. Hi, Jim. Hi, everybody. Brand new year that we're we're heading into, um, that we're kicking off here. As a matter of fact, this is the first uh, first episode that we're doing of year six for Raw. So we're just yeah, entering. That's incredible, year six. isn't it? Yeah. When we wow. first started this, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, fantastic. Hey. Who would have thought we'd have that much to talk about? <laughs> well, it seems to me that I always have to tell everybody to stop talking at the end of each episode. So <laughs> any and, and then, of course, is Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are in Australia. Shirley and Brian, good morning. Good morning. And it is glorious here, Jim. I don't know about this minus 23 or what you're talking about where you live, but it's going to be low 30s today. The sun's shining. And the pool is very refreshing. Thanks very much for us. Yeah, been for a ride every day. Come home. As I walk down from the shed, all the gear comes off and straight into the pool. Magnificent. Oh. Yeah, there's a sight once seen, never forgotten. But <laughs> Brian, why would you throw all your gear in the pool? <laughs> it needs a wash. <laughs> all the pools here are ice rinks as i mentioned to you Shirley. very cold minus 23 celsius I, I don't know offhand what that converts to in fahrenheit but i think you'd be safe just to say it's really really cold really cold yeah and just uh and leave it at that of course cold michelle lamfair is in the cold hills uh black hills of south dakota michelle hello Hi there. I'm actually not, though. I've been sneaky and I've moved on you. I'm in North Carolina at the moment. North Carolina? What are you doing in North Carolina? (laughs) I uh, came to visit a friend and uh, she lives in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I'm actually, at the moment, I came up because I mentioned, I think, in last month's episode that I was hoping to get to the Wheels Through Time Museum in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So. I did manage to squeeze that in. So I'm uh, near Maggie Valley, North Carolina at the moment. So, yeah. seems to me you do everything to avoid the winter of South Dakota because (laughs) you talked before about going to Arizona as well. So you're just trying to avoid the snow. It's not so much that, it's the shoveling. Mm. I don't mind the snow. I just don't want to have to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) And let's bring in Grant Johnson from in British Columbia. Grant, hello. 
Hello to everybody. Um, we've just been shoveling snow. We've got six-foot drifts, um, but it's raining right now, and we're very much looking forward to no more shoveling for a while at least. Instead, we're going to have an atmospheric river coming through from, to, from this afternoon through to tomorrow afternoon. So that'll be fun. We'll have a bit of rain, like 100 millimeters to 150 millimeters of rain in one day. Ah, you that should be run. exciting. Now, uh, we're, we're obviously in, in 2022, first episode for 2022. Um, does anybody have New Year's resolutions? Do you guys do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never had New Year's resolution <laughs> ever, so I'm not, not going to do it anymore at all. What, what, what do you mean, Brian? What, what do you mean not anymore? You've given up, obviously. Uh, yeah, I gave up. Well, what have we done? We've achieved just about everything we want to achieve. And um, what else do you want to do? Oh, hang on. You know, you, you other say... than travel. And, you know, <laughs> so you're just, you're just such an overachiever that you've given up. Like you've, you've already got yeah, everything's yeah. like, oh, I see. I see. I thought you were giving up because it didn't work out. No, 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 no. Lost <laughs> good. What else do you want? Uh, anyone else? Any, any New Year's resolutions? Any, does anyone do that? Wow. Silence is definitely Jim. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, I did one that I, that I actually kept on that was um, to spend a year making everybody, um, somebody, at least one person, a stranger, smile every day. And that was just such fun to do. But I'm not very good at um, New Year's resolutions. Normally, my attitude is that there's something that you promise to do for a year and do for a week and then move rapidly on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, how about, how about um, plans though, or 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 ideas for twenty twenty two? Something you're you're going to do different, like because we always talk about this at the end of the year, and most people do. They they say it's a time to look back and reflect, and then you know you start off the new year and you're gonna you're going to do different things, or maybe you've you've got something on your mind that you're going to tackle for twenty twenty two. Anyone have that? I have a challenge. I have taken on a challenge for twenty twenty two. Okay. What is that? Um, for the last uh, while, I've been volunteering at an op shop which raises funds for our local animal welfare shelter. And uh, just before Christmas, I stood for election for the committee and am now the secretary of the Mount Alexander Animal Welfare, which is um, it's going to be a challenge, most definitely, but it's something which I think is very important. Part of our community, the shelter is our local pound for animals that are um, lost. It's also where people can surrender animals, which unfortunately at this time of the year they do. Um, strays, they all come to our shelter and uh, and the op shop where I've been volunteering raises funds to, to look after the animals and to build better facilities for them at the shelter. That's, that's how she'll pick me up. I was a stray. But, uh, <laughs> you were at the shelter too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, I, 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 she was down at the op shop and she said, can you bring some books down? Yeah, 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 right. We had a, a box of books we're going to get rid of. So I get down there and I'm chatting to someone. Next thing, I'm press ganged. And, and you'd relate to this, Sam, you know, how the old sailors were press ganged into uh-huh. going <laughs> on adventures. I was press ganged into going down to the animal welfare shelter to clean up. I am now the groundsman at the animal welfare centre. <laughs> Yay, good stuff. And it's on a very it's big wonderful. block, so lots of mowing and lots of whippersnippering, and he was down there yesterday with his mates with chainsaws cutting up some trees that fell down during a storm. So that's good. Trees, 60-foot gum trees. You ever try to cut a gum tree up? <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> we've destroyed two, uh, three chainsaws. I'm going to go and get sharpened. Wow. Anyway, that's, that's, yeah, that's, so, that's our little charity. 
So um, back to the my, my thought process with the with the coming year here. Does anyone have travel plans for this year? Yep, you do. Um, sort of. What, what kind of travel Go plans? Can, can we talk about that, Sam? Um, I'm hoping to be back in the um, the states, um, August, September, and October with a bit of luck. Yay! Um, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be two years since I've been over for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's looking um, as if it's on the cards. I've got a lot of work to do though, and I've got a, a big project happening first, which is taking up quite a lot of time. So um, yeah, but um, I'm I'm hoping that that's going to come off. So that, that would one. put you into Canada in what November then? <laughs> of course, my time is always immaculate. <laughs> I want to see these frozen swimming pools. <laughs> well, they'll be gone by then, Sam. <laughs> they say my bike Libby can go anywhere, but she hasn't tried so frozen swimming pool yet. So, you know, this has got to be a first. Mm. <laughs> you, you have a big project. Um, can we talk about your big project? Well, actually, we can. And this is the first time it will have been talked about. So, yeah, I'd really like to, if that's okay. So, so when you say project, this is a book. It is. Um, the brilliant news I have to share is that um, I've been hard at it and it's been really hard keeping quiet about it. Over the last year, I've been working on a new book and I think of it as being a celebration of motorcycle overlanding, but it's not a sound book. I've had the privilege of working with 19 authors and each of them has contributed a chapter. And the brief to everybody was to describe a moment from one of their journeys out there in the world where they had that sudden sensation, wow, yeah, this is why I'm out here. You know, that skin tingle moment. And it's the book is just full of all of the natural drama of motorcycle travel, but it's concentrating on the fun, the laughter, the high points and the lows, the challenges and the outcomes. So there's no bullshit in there. It is just pure, brilliant travel. The book's called The Moment Collectors, and in part because, um, well, it's what we do when we're traveling, isn't it? We collect moments. And Maya Angelou had this wonderful quote, which says, um, life is not measured by the breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. And I wanted this book to be um, the full mix, just as it is out on the road. So skills, styles, stories, nationalities. And with that in mind, some of the contributors are published authors, some of magazine articles, some of great blogs, and some are writing for the first time. Also the full mix, some ride two up, some solo, and some on two bikes. Some are hugely experienced globe riders and others are relatively new to, to wandering and exploring on two wheels. But one of the things about this book that I really love the way it's come together is it's giving the chance to highlight and introduce authors to new readers and to introduce um, new writers. And it's quite different, not only because of all of those things, but it's illustrated with over 70 drawings and paintings and thereby Simon Roberts who people um, may well already know about. Simon's an overlander and an artist. Um, and we've got 20 photos in there. And I'm delighted to say that three members of the Raw crew have been working with me on the moment, Collectors. So stand up, Shirley, Brian and Michelle. It's been a real honour to work with you guys on this. Thanks, um, Sam. It was an honour to be asked yeah, to be thanks, a contributor. <laughs> Absolutely. Honour to be part of it. And thank you. Well, you guys have provided such great stories and, and I think readers are going to love them. And we've got um, quite a lot of people in the book that um, listeners will know of. Um, Claire Elston, perhaps not so many. Jeff Hill, Spe Spencer Conway, um, 
Ted Healy, Lisa Morris, Mark Donham, Graham Field, Tiffany Coates, Emma Lucy Cole, Tim and Marissa Nottier, um, Christian Bricks, Helen Lloyd, Travis and Chantil Gill, Simon and Lisa Thomas, Daniel Byers, Jeff Keyes, Mitch Nesnelsby, Olivier, a girl called Birgit Schinnemann, and me too. Um, but the, the next bit of the news is that the Moment Collectors is being launched in the middle of February, but it will be available for, for pre-order from the day that you listen to this episode of Raw. So we're going to time the, the pre-availability um, um, pre-order on the day that this show is released. So the, the link will be in the notes and it will be on my website at the time. And this, um, I, ju- I just got to finish this, co- this little run of comments. because You can tell that I'm talking really quickly, so you can tell how excited I am. One of the quotes that I, I love that fits in with this whole um, The Moments Collectors thing is this quote, and it's an anonymous quote, and I'd love to know who said it, but it just works. And it's life. It's a blank canvas of moments waiting to be painted. And doesn't that just say it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Sam, how, how did you pick the people for this book? How did you figure out who you were going to ask to write stories for the book? Um, I started off with, who are my friends with? Um, who do I know tells a really good story? Um, who do I get on really well with? Because for me, this was a complete departure from anything that I've done before. Um, and it's been a, a wonderful learning curve, but I needed to be working with people who are going to be a bit patient with me too. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's been part of the whole buzz. It's been a new adventure, something completely fresh to be doing. And I hope that it comes across um, with that level of freshness. Um, it, it's, yeah, I'm, I got finally to the stage when it went to print that I sat back and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, we can be proud of this. It's it's fun, it's interesting, and it's a real travellers working together type of book. Um, I, I really hope people enjoy it. So since you were the one that, that sort of curated this whole thing, and then you also have your, uh, uh, one chapter that you've done yourself, is there a mm. flavour of Sam throughout this? I mean, have you had an influence on all of the, the authors that are in the book? Well, um, the editing's been done by myself, uh, Susan Dragoo, and Paul Smith. So there's a little bit of all of us um, right the way through the book. But one of the things that was most important was that I wanted um, each author to have their own styles stand out. Um, Their sense of humour, their slang, their nationalities, as well as their own storytelling um, style. And that has been quite a challenge. Um, but it's one of the things that makes the book such a refreshing thing to read because you go from one chapter to the next and all of a sudden, bang, you've got a different style and um, different words to work out. Well, I know some people have a go at me sometimes because of my English slang, but everybody who's interested just goes away and has a look to see what the words I'm talking about. Now, chuffed is a perfect example, isn't it? And bimble is another one of the words that I use, but people look it up. You can find it. And that is part of the fun of an international book of travel. You mentioned that the stories were um, sort of about a moment where they, they really realize this is why they're out there. Is it Does it sort of give you a, a, a window? Does each story give you a window of part of the adventure? Like, how, how does that work? No, no, that's exactly right. So the stories lead you into that particular moment where you have that sensation, wow, this is just, this is just quite incredible. This is why, this is a perfect example of why I travel. Uh, so this is pretty, it's pretty neat. And so by reading these, one of these stories, it probably give you some sort of flavor for what a person's book may be like. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, mm. And that was one of the most important things about keeping um, the author's style and not just making it a smooth style right the way through the whole book. Um, this book is full of uniqueness. It's full of characters. It's full of people. It's full of storytellers. Wow, this is pretty exciting. Uh, that, that's great, Sam, that uh, that you've done this. And um, we'll be obviously putting the link in the show notes. And it's going to be ready as soon as somebody listens to this, that they can pre-order the book. Correct. Okay. And, and is Sam, that, is it going to be a real book or an e-book? It's going to be in various formats. Um, it'll be um, a print version with color photos. There'll be another version with black and white, and it'll also be um, as Kindle, so an e-book. Um, and we're also aiming to have it out as Nook as well, because um, many Canadians have a pop at me, because the books, my books, um, my four books aren't um, on Nook, which I gather is um, what you Canadians um, prefer. So, yeah, we're going to get it on Nook as well. When you say you and Canadians, no, what exactly do you mean by that, Sam? No, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't even know what you, Nook you is. Hardy, you hardy northern characters. Right, right. <laughs> hardy independent northern characters, let's put it this way. And no, I'm not going to put it into an audiobook format um, because I there's no way that I can do Shirley's accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sam, the only congratulations. hurdle. Yeah, well it's done. It's so exciting. <laughs> it's it's know, just been fun to do. It's this re- crap, Sam, about my accent. I don't have an accent. <laughs> no, Birgit, Birgit, Birgit's within earshot. If I try your accent, I will get a clip around the ear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's exciting news for sure. Well, look, uh, look forward to seeing that book in hand once it's ordered. Um, I imagine they'd be getting out there um, in a couple of months, would they? Um, I'm hoping to launch the book um, officially on the 20th of February. And what are you going to do for launch? Is that a party? Are we invited? Well, yeah, of course, it's going to be a virtual party. No, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, My last two books we've launched at the Ace Cafe. But um, we need to watch what's happening with um, people in close quarters in an environment like the Ace Cafe. Um, But the Ace Cafe at the beginning of March does have its Overland and Adventure Motorcycle Sunday. And uh, that's quite a a big get together. So um, that's going to be the the first place that it's on sale uh, face to face with people. And I'm hoping that several of the authors um, who are involved with putting the book together will be there too. So um, that'll make it fun. And I assume that's why you're you're hoping to be in the US. Well, in part, um, in part because I've been missing riding in the states. There's so much that I still have to discover um, in the US. And every time I'm over, um, yeah, it's just brilliant. And it's also a case of the chance to meet up again with friends that I've made on previous trips. It's been quite strange for the last two years, not been linking up with people. So yeah, I'm really hoping it's going to come um, together. And of course, my F800GS, Lucky, she's whinging at me now. Come now, ride me! Now, we, we got on this with, with asking about travel plans. Um, so that's, that's Sam's travel plans. Does someone else have a travel plan for this year? Um. Well, we sort of did initially. Um, my friend um, Dave Milligan is going to ship motorcycles across to Europe, and um, he's still going ahead with that around um, early spring in uh, Europe. So we were thinking about going over, but we're not so sure whether we'll do that or continue touring around our own great country for a little bit. So we're we're still up in the air as to what we're going to do, but. Um, 
you know, we, we had this hankering before uh, COVID hit of um, going through uh, spending a fair bit of time in Eastern Europe, which was sort of put on hold uh, with the initial wave of COVID. Um, so uh, not so sure, not so mm. sure um, at this time uh, for 2022. It's just depends on, you know, we've got friends over there doing it now, which um, we can talk about um, if you want, but um, they're um, struggling with uh, crossing borders with COVID restrictions and things like oh, that. Oh, right. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But, um, and, yeah. and Grant, you're, you're not going anywhere to this year? You're not planning on anything? Not planning on going anywhere exotic or exciting or wonderful other than beautiful British Columbia. There's mm-hmm. so much to see here that I haven't seen, and I'm going to be out on my dual sport DRZ 400 and doing a lot of exploring on that backcountry, getting out, riding, prepping it for a bigger trip somewhere along the line. Right. And Michelle, I was surprised not to hear you speak up and say you, you have something planned. Well, mine are up in the air. I'm not really sure. So yeah, I have some things that are in in the works. Um, I know last year I went to Pakistan and I have some friends that are going back and doing the Pakistan trip again this year. So I've been invited to go again. I'm just not sure that I can make it work. So um, yeah, I've got a couple irons in the fire, but nothing nothing firm yet. Mm. Well, it's just nice to hear this, that there's possibilities and, and things that, that um, you guys are, yes. are working on for the year. Well, well, um, for this episode, we're, we're going to talk about travel in, in our, in our new COVID world. We're going to touch on that a little bit. And then we're also going to talk about impolite things that a guest should never do. But I think before we get started, when it comes to COVID, obviously this is a, a hot topic for some people, for a lot of people. And um, first, I, I want to say a word about what we're actually talking about this. Or actually, really, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I just want to clarify what we're not talking about, <laughs> you know, because I know some people have, will take issue with um, the idea of vaccines or anything to do with them. We're not talking about the idea of vaccination or whether vaccines are moral, legal, ethical, or or any other argument that, that people have about vaccines. We're, we're talking about the fact that like it or not, agree or disagree, love it or hate it, that you're likely going to have to deal with providing some sort of proof about vaccination or at least deal with that thought process when it comes to travel. If a country says you have to be vaccinated, well, whether you like it or not, if you want to go there, that's what you're going to have to do. And that's sort of what we're talking about. It's, it's not about the the whole vaccine argument. Just want to get that on the table right away so that everybody understands that. Not, not so much us that are talking because we've talked about it, but for the listeners themselves. So they understand where we're going with this. So um, travel potential, you know, in a COVID world, what, what do you guys, or how do you guys feel about this at this point, where we're sitting right now at the start of 2022? Well, in Australia, Jim, if you want to get on a plane, you have to be double vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's an issue of if you want to participate, that's, that's the rule. It's, it's not, um, there are exemptions, but they're very, very, very hard to get. So if you want to leave Australia, you have to be double vaccinated. And most of the countries that have got a bubble, as they call it, with Australia, to land in those countries, you have to be double vaccinated. And a lot of them have requirements that you've got to have either a rapid test or a PCR test on arrival. And then after you've been there a few days. So um, it's, it's just part of life the way 
those of us who've been to South America and, and parts of Africa, you had to have yellow fever. Now you have to have COVID vaccine. Yeah, and I'm not sure how I feel about 2023 or 2022 moving too quickly in the calendar already. Um, <laughs> and how the year's going to shape up. I think it's it's such a you know dynamic situation. There are so many countries with borders, land borders that aren't open yet, but sometimes you're able to fly in. Um, and it presents a lot of challenges. So I think it, the key word for me and where I'm sitting with it right now and looking at my travel plans is staying flexible. And I think being flexible, being, you know, adaptable to the changing situation and really staying in touch with things because everything is changing very quickly. I think that looking at an overland journey, like, you know, climbing on a motorcycle and, and riding from, you know, across a continent and through countries and crossing borders presents very different challenges than it did two or three years ago. And I don't know that you can count on all of the borders being open. There's certainly more paperwork. There's longer lines. There's waits for visas. There's different restrictions, um, quarantine requirements, vaccination and paperwork, documentation, PCR testing. All of that is part of it. But I think really the essential thing that I have in the back of my mind is being flexible. And so I will see how the year shapes up. But I think it's such a dynamic situation, both traveling you know, overland or flying into a destination that it's it's still a little bit hard to predict what's happening and what's going to happen for the rest of this year. Michelle, you talk about crossing borders. In Australia, we can't um, cross into Western Australia. Yeah, that, that's, it's a, closed. That's, that's a third of the country. It's still closed wow. to the rest of the country because they don't have um, the infection rate of COVID that we do. So they've just closed the borders. And, you know, that's, uh, and we've had that last year where we were in Queensland and all of a sudden the borders were shutting between us and Victoria. So we had yeah. to hightail at home if otherwise you get stuck and people were stuck uh, in one state uh, for months not being able to cross back into their home state um, with border closures and things like that. So that's just in our country. And imagine wow. what that's like uh, in internationally. Um, mm -hmm. It'd be really difficult. And our friends at Sherman might like to explain about our friends who flew across to um, the UK um, who were working, um, they're travel writers. Um, but, uh, they had uh, certain difficulties they've had to deal with, haven't they? Well, they got into the UK. Um, they met the requirements. They had the double, double backs and they um, had their, um, I think they got a rapid test done at day six and had a wonderful time in the UK through some really bad winter weather, um, but really, really enjoyed it and got into France two days before France closed the border to, to England. And then they've had to leave France because France has changed their requirements and now they've got, require, they've got a higher card no, yeah. in France. And so that they, they drove south um, because in France you need to be triple vaxxed and they're having trouble getting that third vaccination. So even on the road, you can still, you're still going to come across issues at the moment. And I think, Sam, you've got a, a bit of advice in relation to getting that triple vaccination in Europe. Yeah, I've been hearing from people that um, if they go to international airports, then there is um, a good chance that they'll be able to, because they are a traveller, not necessarily on a flight, but because they're travelling. Um, I've been hearing from several people that they've um, gone to airports and been allowed to um, have the booster jab. In which countries was that, Sam? Um, that was in the UK and in France and in Spain. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. Hmm. 
pass that on to, the, to our, our rep, intrepid travellers. I have to say, that is anecdotal, though. I have not gone and checked. You know, I've not been in touch with the airports uh-huh. and said, right, can I do this? But, well, why would people tell you that if it's complete tosh? True, true. Anyone else? Grant? Yeah, I, I'm going to be the guy that says it's not the right time, which is kind of unusual for me as I'm normally the, the guy that says, well, now's the best time. The sooner the better. Don't wait. But right now... COVID is still a serious threat to everyone, and it can't be ignored. For me, I'm not going anywhere because my risk is in the extremely high category. Um, I get the, got the booster shot before anybody, et cetera, so I can't go anywhere. It's just not worth the risk. Um, but there's a lot of people that are at high risk and can't go anyway. But as, as has been said, too, Border crossings. There are so many border crossings and they change all the time. We've been watching Morocco quite closely because there's a lot of people doing, want to do uh, Morocco trips. Like that's changing constantly. It's ridiculous. Central America is changing. Um, The latest news out of Central America, Guatemala border from Mexico is open. Um, But you have to have proof of vaccination. Honduras border is open. Nicaragua is open. But you need a PCR test and patience and lots of money. So, mm. and, and that was all closed just a few weeks ago. And it could change again next week. It's hard to say. So I think, as Michelle said, flexible. If you have to be so flexible. Um, I remember well 9-11, which everybody remembers, but we were well into um, the whole travel thing at the time. And the number of people that were saying, I'm stuck here. I can't go. I can't do this. What do I do? It was constant. Well, you can go to the airport and you can put your bike on a plane and you can fly over whatever country. Um, I think we need to be prepared for that now. If you're heading somewhere, make sure that you're not on such a tight budget that you can't just go to an airport and load the bike up and fly out. Flexibility is going to be important. Uh, I think you need to be prepared to stay where you are because you literally can't get out of the country. Yeah, now, are you talking? Is that, what you're just saying there is that you're talking about traveling? If you were to travel now, like in 2022, yes, or in the if future, you're traveling. Okay. I think for the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for the next year, you have to be super flexible. I mean, we know that as travelers, you always have to be flexible. That's a normal thing. But you have to be prepared to be much more flexible and you can't lock yourself in. You have to have room to change. Um, Just carnets, for instance, if you've got carnets, people often tick out a list of countries that they're going to go through on their wonderful trip. Well, that's all great. But what if a country's border is closed, but you could go around it? Oh, wait a minute. But my carnet isn't including that other country. Mm. Hey, get every country. Get Mm -hmm. them all. You know, every possible route, give yourself flexibility. That's, that's just super critical. And again, if things really go to hell, be prepared to just rent an apartment somewhere and sit there for however long it takes. Yeah, talking about budgets, um, Grant, one thing that um, uh, came to light here in Australia when we first opened our borders, remembering our borders were shut for so long, um, you could do a family holiday to Fiji and the airlines in the Fiji and government wanted everyone to come to Fiji and spend money. So there were really super cheap deals. But when you got there, your whole family had to have a PCR test 
and the costs of the PCR test for your family was more than the cheap airfares. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's another thing you've got to consider. I mean, we, we have tests here in Australia and I guess it's everywhere. You know, if you're symptomatic or you're a close contact, you can go and get a test and the government provides it for free. But if you're doing it in a foreign country, that's unlikely. So if you need a test to get into another country, that is going to be another budget budget line item that you need to consider that you didn't need to consider two years ago. Yeah. I'm hearing yeah, prices. The number 300 US. Okay, that's yeah. I was just going to say 250 is what is what I heard. Now, now we just did yeah. an episode that that's, that'll be out when we when this comes out with uh, Mickness and Elspi uh, Ulave, and um, they they ran into a bunch of problems be, because of COVID and, and the requirements, and also uh, to, to do with leaving their bikes in a country. They left them in, in Bolivia. What they ran into was the the delays in flights right now, because so many flights are being delayed, particularly right now, because yeah. uh, the crews are, are getting sick, that their PCR test, which is a, um, what's that, a polymers chain reaction, I think it means some sort of molecular photocopying test that they do, that's $250 per person uh, in their case, and, and it, ran, it would run out by the time they waited for this flight that was canceled. So it's something you got to keep in mind. Prices can escalate very, very quickly for you. I mean, you, yeah. I th- think yeah, they ended up getting right. three tests, um, three tests at yeah. 250 a piece. Wow. That's wow. Because the requirements here are 72 hours before you fly, you need to get a negative test result. Mm. And if it's taking a long time to get those test results through, which is something that's happening because so many people are getting tested, you're right, Jim, you then need to get another one. And if it's for travel, um, it, it is a, a cost and $250 is something that we've heard all over the place is yeah. that's how much they're charging. And if you have a connecting flight, that, that's an easy way to get messed up because it's 72 hours from that first test from, mm. from when you did that test. And I think it takes like 18 hours or something to, to get the test back. And so then you've got to, to the end of that 72 hours and that, that connecting flight or something like that could easily mess you up um, as it did with, with Mickness and Elsby. You know, a number of people have had that issue. They've been caught in a country they weren't planning on and didn't even have a visa for necessarily just because they had a connecting flight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, again, flexibility, flexibility, flexibility is going to be the watchword. We just have to be. As Grant was saying before, um, maybe explore more of your own country mm. now mm. while we're waiting for things to settle down. But I have to say, um, who would have thought that this would go on for so long? Oh, I remember when it first started, we were meant to be flying out on the 30th of June to go to um, walk Hadrian's Wall and then go to Eastern Europe on the bike. And um, Brian said, oh, well, there's our holiday plan stuffed. I said, don't be ridiculous, Brian. We're not flying until the 30th of June. <laughs> <laughs> well, those words have come back to haunt me, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah, guess what? She hasn't said I was right yet. <laughs> Those words don't tumble out of my mouth easily. I'll bet. Grant, no. when, you, when you were saying flexible, you, um, it's it's time and money, isn't it? Which is, is, yeah, is absolutely. Th- there's a, those think, often I, don't go together. Yeah, if you're trying to travel on a super budget, forget it. it you, you just can't because you could have to spend big money like Mickness and Olivier. Well, they, they spent 1500 bucks just on PCR tests mm-hmm. for the two yeah. of them. Yeah. Plus, they had to leave their bike behind. They had to fly out. If you've got to fly your bike out right now, guess what? Shipping, air or sea, can be three to four times what it was two years ago. Yeah, that's just air crazy. Air Canada was doing flights from Canada to Europe for the incredibly cheap price of 1200 bucks each way. Right now, you can't get it at all. 
And if you could get it, well, I know what sea freight is. Uh, containers are four times the price they were two years ago. So container space is going to be super expensive. Port t- prices are going to be expensive. Delays are going to be frequent. Yeah, uh, and cancellations, as, oh, as you were saying everywhere, before. Cancellations time. everywhere. Yeah. And the other, the, other, the other thing to think about, Grant, is parts availability, tyres. We've had terrible mm. trouble getting tyres here in Australia because of containers are all clogged up because uh, there's no uh, movement in, of shipping and things like that. Right. Would you believe yeah. there's shortage of pallets? Pallets, yeah. And no, that is really making pallets. shipping goods around, certainly around Australia, very difficult because there aren't the pallets to put the boxes to put them in the back of the truck, and it's just crazy. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to say shortage of tyres because Brian has them on all his bikes. <laughs> <laughs> I've worn out a few. <laughs> Harsh but fair, Jim. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> No, we think that for now, big trips are out. It's, it's just too hard. Um, and also, of course, we don't want to spread it. And we want to be welcomed when we get somewhere, not shunned wherever we go. And a lot of places are desperate for tourists. But at the same time, they don't want to come within six feet of you either. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, mm, do I want to go there? Do I want to run that risk? Do I want to give, make, put them at risk? So for now, I think it's, it's mini adventures. Learn more about your own country or maybe adjacent countries where that makes sense, like Canada, U.S. is possible. Um, you get yourself, your bike, your gear really well prepared. You know, really plan, check it out, test it. Don't do like uh, Doug Watke did, heading off, got a half an hour down the road and said to his buddy, I got to unload some gear. I can't even ride this bike. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You you don't want to be the person that sends another box of stuff I thought I had to have home. Um, (laughs) I don't know. That's all part of the adventure, the trip to the post office. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We've all done it. Exactly. Some of us more than once. I won't name names. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we've all done it more than once. (laughs) Hey, Grant, what are you doing about your um, HU meetings? Being very, very careful. We only held four last year. We're looking at so far about six this year. And those are, if it's safe, they will go. If it's not safe, if there's problems, um, if there's a big case count rise at the time, forget it. We're erring very much on the side of safety. The last yeah. thing we want is to, to become a super spreader event. Um, we know that a, a significant chunk of our people are, shall we say, not quite as young as they used to be, and they're higher risk. It's just not worth it if we can't have a good time have fun, talk to people. And if you have to be six feet away from everybody and wear a mask all the time, um, it's, it's just not going to be the same. So no, we're being super not careful. As, yeah. no, so uh, I, th- I think in the end, what I was going to say was be prepared by planning. Get your act together. Know that you're really well organized. And, that, and we've talked about pre-trip jitters. One of the big reasons for pre-trip jitters is I don't know if I've got everything I need. I'm not sure I've got all the right stuff. I don't know if I'm loaded correctly. I don't know if my luggage is going to work. I don't know where my stuff is. I can't even find my toothbrush because I don't know where I remember where I packed it. If you've got that organized because you've done local trips, you'll feel so much more confident and ready to go. And I think when when it's time, you'll know and you'll be all set. And I think that's, that's a big deal. 
and depending on the country that you live in, there, there could be a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity to travel in your own country. I, I don't know, Sam, how do you feel about that? I mean, because obviously you're not in a huge country. But tiny little England. I didn't want to say that. The furthest away we can get from the sea at any one place is about 78 miles or something like that. Is that right? Or is it 98? Yeah, it's tiny. Um, the, the, the thing is, though, I mean, so many Brits um, head overseas and don't know their own um, countries. Um, there's so much to see here. And when you get off the main road, so you're not zipping past stuff in a hurry to get somewhere else, um, you're actually going through. And it's just like overlanding, but on a smaller scale. Um, you're seeing so much more because you're on the back roads and you're going through the little villages and so on. And yeah, that's just fantastic. Um, the, Europe has, um, or mainland Europe has a real problem at the moment because, you know, each country is treating the situation individually and the rates are rising quite dramatically. I'm actually feeling quite positive about this year and I'm I, I always try not to use that word positive nowadays I think I'll try and replace that all the time with the word optimistic <laughs> um, I think that this year has um, a lot more possibility towards the latter part to be far more open where long distance travel is concerned and I may be jumping the gun with my optimism especially bearing in mind that a series of points need to settle into place but in part I'm optimistic because Sadly, there's so much more personal experience around for people, as in COVID has touched so many lives to the detriment in one way or the other, that, you know, more people understand the risks and are being duly respectful. It's taking quite a long time um, for us to get to this stage. But it really is, I, from what I'm reading and from what I'm seeing and from what I'm hearing from people, moving very much more in that direction. Many more people know what needs to be done and what actually isn't helpful. I think economics, as Grant said, is making a difference to, to some countries. Some countries just totally rely on tourism. And what they want is they want us to come back, but they want us to be respectful to them. Um, and being respectful is such an easy thing to do. Another point in our favour and another reason why I'm feeling optimistic is that the scientists now know so much more about COVID than they did when all of this started kicking off. And I've got a friend who's um, a pretty senior high medic. Um, and he was saying to me that the scientists know so much more now, they're that much more able to react that much faster um, to new variants as that they come through because they're able to understand um, the makeup of them. But they're also understanding things like the, the, the little things, like all of a sudden it pops out of the woodwork that vitamin D really does help, particularly for people who um, are living in northern environments like, you know, we're all going through winter now in Canada, northern United States, um, the UK, northern Europe, etc., where we're not out and about and getting the usual level of sunshine naturally um, providing vitamin D. Well, actually vitamin D works and we can get it from the chemist, the pharmacy, and it's mass produced. It doesn't cost a fortune and it's just a simple little thing that all of us can be doing. So, you know, there are those sorts of things that are happening. And I think it's more and more rounding up that caution, optimism and respect are the keys um, that we all understand now and not fear because fear was, was so damaging 
to, to the whole process. Sam, Sam, something you mentioned just there, let, let me just jump in. Um, you mentioned about um, being respectful, you know, when, you, when you're going to, to travel somewhere to somebody's country. And that's a new thing that we have to look at, isn't it? Not the, not the respect part, because we've always had that. I, I think, you know, generally travelers try to do that, good travelers. But um, this, is a, this is another type of respect. So in other words, regardless of how you feel about wearing a mask, if you go somewhere and, and they all wear masks, you, you kind of, you know, went in Rome, right? To be oh, respectful. Without a doubt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's such a simple thing to do. But aside from like, cause you're, you're going to get some people who won't want to wear masks or, or disagree or whatever. But the, but what the point I'm trying to make here is that it's about respect. It's a, forget about what your belief is about whether the mask is going to save you or not. It's about respect for the place that you're visiting, for the people that you're around. Yes, absolutely. That's, it's, it's so simple and respect <clears throat> is something that um, most of us are actually brought up to believe has value. Yeah, that's, 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 that's exactly right, Sam. But the other, the other point here is, and I agree with everything you've said about the science and about what scientists are doing and all the rest of it, but go back to history, go back to the Spanish flu. There were four waves, I believe four waves of the Spanish flu, and it lasted, uh, I think, the, the two years, and the third wave and then the fourth wave, um, the third wave was particularly uh, deadly. Um, so, you know, we're in the third wave now and the, the, the flu itself um, needs a host and the first wave killed its hosts more than what the, this, this third wave we're going through now does. So, you know, even history tells us that it, this is like a three or four year um, pandemic and right now, the scientists are on top of their game and and learning, as you said, Sam, a lot about it. And we can um, we can we can all benefit from that. You know, the world is um, a, a lot smaller place than it was in uh, 1919, 1920. But um, the, the the impact of that that Spanish flu back then, the the estimates are it killed 12 and a half million Indians alone, and 550,000 uh, Americans. Well, you know, we're, we're well over those figures, obviously, with a bigger population. But, um, you know, this, this will run its course. And we are into, what, now the second start of the third year of this? So, you know, we're, we're probably getting towards the end of it. And I, I think everyone's right. Towards the end of 2022, we'll be able to have more freedoms, more travel. And if we use um, the old adage of respect for other cultures and other people, we wear a mask if um, that's what everyone else is doing, and you know we'll be fine. But I think we have to ride it out for an, a little while yet. No, I, I definitely agree with you, which is why I'm talking definitely about um, the latter part of the year. I mean, are the risks of COVID gone? No, they're not, and COVID's going to be with us forever. It's, it's, you know, yeah. I hate to well, use the well, comparison with flu too, too. Um, too easily and i know you just haven't used it easily you've used it very appropriately but like flu covid's going to be around um, but we will learn how to deal with it and is is covid going to halt full-time travel altogether no i don't think so but i do think that um and i think that's vital i mean i think everybody on raw 
knows that Traveller is the great leveller and people find out that 99% people are like them, friendly, welcoming, etc. And we learn to respect to each other because we're learning about each other as we go. And I think that it's very important that we don't forget that. Um, mm. I personally think, and I think um, Grant perhaps said this earlier on, that travel by motorcycle is going to be an even better way to travel than it is already is. Sit crammed in a local bus? No, not for me, thanks. And that, of course, includes trains in, in developing worlds. I mean, anybody who's been on an, on an Indian train or a Bangladeshi train, for example, knows exactly what I'm talking about. You couldn't get a more human 3D jigsaw puzzle than on one of those <laughs> trains or buses. Yes. Motorcycling is saying the ultimate uh, social distancing. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a prescription for COVID, isn't it? Get a motorcycle. Yeah, it does work. Get out and there and ride work. your motorcycle. I think that more people are going to do fly and ride trips. Um, and many of the companies out there, um, let's say in Colombia and Ecuador and other countries that do regular um, higher trips, um, South Africa is another perfect um, uh, example. They've been starved for business. And from what I can see, they're giving um, great rates for longer rentals. So if you can get a visa for three months for a particular country, then fly in and do a deal. Um, the beauty of that is no bike purchase cost, no shipping, easy insurance, and you can country hop. So in other words, you spend three months exploring, let's say, South Africa. You're getting towards the two-month stage, and then you start looking around, well, where else do I fancy going? Okay, um, Colombia. I've always wanted to go to Colombia. Right, what rental um, or setups are over there? And so you look at that, but always as both Brian and Grant have said, you're looking for an alternative. So in other words, if you're heading in that direction and it doesn't work out, um, then you've got an alternative in mind. And the thing is, I think that parts of the world will open up and travel will become more possible. But I think that we travellers need to stop feeling sad that it's not the way that it was. And I see a lot of comments like that. It's going to be, much of it is going to be the same. And it's a historical fact, isn't it, that things change all of the time. And some of the times changes are big, but it's also a, few, a historical fact that we human beings have the ability to adapt where we want to. And I think that those who adapt in this situation are going to have a very good chance of having a fantastic time out there and not catching or passing on COVID. We just have to get into a mental state where we're, we're looking for what we can do, though being aware of what we can't, but to stop dwelling on what we can't. Does yeah, that make sense? It's Sure. I mean, it's the new norm for us, for all of us in, in our lives, whether it's travel or anything. I mean, it is the new norm. Uh, one of the things that Grant said there, he mentioned in passing about uh, uh, you might be, you, you need to be in a position where you can either, I think, did you say abandon your bike or, get, or put your bike on a plane? Did you say only put, put your, your bike, bike on a plane? Although some people are abandoning their bikes. Well, that's you might be forced to. Right. And, and that's yeah. it. That's what was running through my mind was this might be a time to sort of rethink the whole thing. Maybe another consideration is the fact that you might want a little bit more disposable motorcycle for travel if in particular, that's as things are still unorganized. Such yeah, a good cheap. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yep. they're all in. They're all in my shed. I'm collecting all these orphans. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. that there's a very good chance that we're going to see more and more people who are wanting to do longer term overlanding trips starting to to search really carefully for smaller bikes, especially cheaper older bikes. Why? Well, because we're going to need to be freighting more often. Smaller equals less costs um, because 
you know, freighting is size and weight cheaper? Well, because we might be forced to leave them behind. But and just because it's old doesn't mean that you can't maintain it really, really well. And the bonus, of course, and we touched on this earlier, was the cost of the carne. If it's smaller and older, then that means that your carne costs less. Um, and that means you've got more ready, readies available for any freighting that you might have to do. And mm-hmm. a slight bonus of a smaller bike, of course, is easier to pick up and it's easier to get up the stairs when there's no safe ground, ground level parking. Or throw it into the back of a truck too. <laughs> and, and we've talked about this before about, about motorcycles. They're the right, the perfect motorcycle. We all know people who've ridden the world on motorcycles that are completely inappropriate by most people's standards, mm-hmm. right? So I mean, it's not like yeah, it can't be done. Right. I'm always reminded of the guy, and this was back around 2002 or three. He said, "I'm going to go around the world." Okay, great. Yeah, good for you. Um, and I'm not going to spend any more than hundred dollars on a motorcycle. <laughs> okay. Well, it turned out he went through about 15 motorcycles. So he spent about 1500 bucks, but uh, he would just ride until he wasn't allowed to get across the border because he didn't have a carnet or there was uh, big fees or something. And he'd just sell it to somebody in the nearest town, go across the border and start looking for something else. Well, if you think I, about it, in the end, what do we need? We need reliability, we need range, and we need the ability to carry some gear. Hey, we don't even need reliability, really, Sam. You're, I mean, you buy something in, in India, for instance, and if it breaks down, you stop, and about 50 feet away, there's usually a shop where they can fix whatever you got. That yeah, is true. That is it, true. It, reliability is something that, as Westerners, I use very loosely, we tend to go for as it's, it's got to be absolutely reliable and it cannot break down because if it breaks down, it's a disaster. Well, actually, no. I mean, some of the most interesting experiences I've had have been in a little tiny shop in the middle of nowhere and watching what they do. And, oh, my goodness, they're good. <laughs> it's just fantastic what they can do. It's incredible, um, isn't it? But reliability yeah. is kind of like insurance, isn't it? You know, you know the, yeah, if it's, it's reliable, nice, it's, it's your insurance to know that you're, gonna, you're kind of going to be okay. You can keep going. Yeah. I kind of like the reliability <laughs> angle, though, because I'm a mechanical idiot. And if I'm going off the beaten track somewhere where there isn't the, the chap in his little corner stand, then I want to know that my bike is, even if I'm riding slowly because it's a small old bike, I don't mind riding slowly most of the time I do anyway because I'm busy looking at stuff. Um, I do kind of want to know that I'm not going to end up 300 miles off the beaten track and, oh, what the hell do I do now? But but isn't that why you ride with Birgit? I think, I think the, the idea is that you go for something that's really cheap, make it as good as you can. If you spend you know, 25 bucks or something on new K, throttle cable or something so that it at least goes, but, but don't be too anal about it. Make sure mm. it's going to get you a while. Don't buy something that's an absolute pile of crap. Whatever you've got will do. It will go. It's amazing how far bikes that are, look like absolute junk will go. Um, just get on it and go. And then if you do run into trouble, you can walk away from it. And, and you're not, yeah, you know, it's so not what? the end of the world, right? And, and that's... Stick that, out your thumb. Because we're talking about, like what we're talking about here is traveling, you know, while things are still liquid right now, say, or fluid yeah. rather, um, uh, you know, the, things are still moving around with COVID and, and it's changing a lot. And if that's part of the considerations and you actually want to travel in those times uh, or, or the more you're into that and, and the less uh, the less time you want to wait, if, if you want to go in early, you know, 2022 or something like that, it's just something to consider. I, I think it's a, a really good point. One of the other things that, that's going to become um, more important to us as we travel is uh, insurance, medical insurance. 
you know, getting COVID medical insurance. And it's surprising, but there's already companies out there that are offering COVID coverage um, medical insurance, you know, and you can, you can buy it, um, you know, just like you do regular medical insurance, just another consideration. And I bet there's a lot of companies that when you read the fine print will not cover you. Yeah. If you get COVID. Oh, yeah. So that'll be the other thing. Well, well, these ones with COVID coverage, I think one of the the stipulations is, um, you know, if you, if you think about being delayed because of COVID, what they'll want is a positive COVID test before they're going to cover anything. So you, you have to have COVID. You can't just be delayed because of the complications of a COVID world. Yeah. yeah. That's your yeah. yeah. Nobody will cover that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say on that, with this cheap bike, et cetera, is travel super light. Like, uh, a backpack, a light backpack, a day pack, not a full-on backpack, um, a credit card, a change of clothes, toothbrush, you know, keep it super simple. And that means that no matter what, you can just walk away mm-hmm. and uh, away you go. Just keep it simple. Kiss principle, for sure. Yeah. It's be the, the yes. big thing you really want to keep going with. Yeah, I'm going to be smart. Yeah, sorry. I got a bunch of mates that do that, and the the thing that they decide is um, who can travel the lightest. And <laughs> yeah. It's usually it's usually a pair of jocks and a credit card, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it could be an All opportunity to change our, our travel style, you know, or someone's travel style. If you've you know you've done it on in a big way before, maybe now you know this is a neat opportunity to try something completely different. If you want to go into the COVID world and do it, um, do it this way. You know, cut back on your on your bike and and consider respecting people with the with the COVID, uh, however they're dealing with it, and get think about COVID insurance, all, all those sorts of things. So it's still possible if you want to try a different kind of different style of adventure. Travel light, sure. How about that? Oh, this is the most ridiculous conversation we've had. <laughs> How many years have we been doing this? For goodness sake. <laughs> A day back. Rod Johnson. <laughs> Changing the subject just a little bit, I think um, that um, I can't remember who said this um, as we've been talking, but um, I think air freight costs and shipping costs are going to stay high for the foreseeable future, and that will make a significant difference. So every way that a person can find to offset those costs makes a huge amount of sense. So again, that fits in with the small, um, cheap, old bike. And one thing that I think um, it's worth people checking out in, um, for when they're flying between um, one place and the next is um, not only check what the embassy of the country um, is that they've that they're going to is asking for but check what the airline is asking for um, I'm seeing quite a lot of instances where people get into the airport they've got exactly what the embassy has stipulated they want the airline is saying something else um, what the most successful people that I'm seeing that are out there traveling now are doing they're also checking the um, International Air Transportation Association, so the IATA. And they seem to be getting pretty much the best information by complying with the rules that all three of those organizations um, have suggested. Um, And I was quite interested because I I just just hadn't occurred to me to check up the IATA. So, um, yeah, one, one worth looking at. Those are really good points. Along with the cheaper uh, bike and, you know, maybe less gear, et cetera. We we still go back to that thing of you you definitely want to think about time and money and and hopefully having Mm -hmm. plenty of both. Mm -hmm. I'll always remember that whatever the embassy says, if you're traveling overland, has nothing to do with what the guy at the border wants. Yeah. The, The mismatch 
and rules between the embassy and the actual border can be huge. The main thing, I think, is always to err on the side of I'm triple vaccinated, I've got my PCR test, whatever, you know, be on the on the positive side rather than, oh, you mean I need to be vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Yeah, be Michelle. proactive. Yep, absolutely. Michelle, you're yeah. the one who's been the most adventurous of all of us in recent times. Um, <laughs> when you went to Pakistan, did you have contingencies if um, borders shut or your re-entry to the US requirements changed or if there was an outbreak in the area that you were in? Did you have plans to get out quick? Um, we did. And there were talk about pre-trip jitters. I mean, that really did add an extra layer of stress and and worry from every standpoint trying to you know pack gear what do i need do i need extra masks um we did a lot of research into exactly to sam's point as to not only what the country would be looking for in pakistan when i flew to pakistan but also we were traveling and transiting through uh, doha qatar and flying through that airport we were going to be there for a number of hours and we actually had specific requirements um, for vaccines and vaccination records to enter Doha, even though we were transiting and not actually leaving the airport. Yeah. So yeah, we had to be smart. very mindful of, you know, and I was transiting on two different airlines. So there was actually two different airlines protocols. There were, you know, multiple countries protocols. There was, you know, everything that I was going to be looking to prepare for that. And then, you know, everything in country. And we did, we had some contingencies um, but again, that's really just where that flexibility comes in. And it's so, so crucial about, you know, not only your travel style, are you looking at going overland and trying to cross borders? So that's a whole different subset of problems and challenges and ways that you work around that as opposed to doing a destination trip like I did. So flew in, did a rental for a couple of weeks and then transited out. Um, but still had to have, you know, a lot of flexibility in that with timeline, with budget, with my travel style. I normally travel solo, but I was traveling with a group. Uh, we knew even beforehand that we were going to become a bubble traveling together, but we wanted to be very conscious about not interacting too much with the public in any of the villages we were staying in. Um, so we masked when we were out in public. We were not masked when we were together in quarters or or outdoors, so to speak. Um, but we were really conscious of it. And there were different mask requirements with different airlines. Some of the women on the, on the trip that I went on wanted to wear a buff uh, and just pull that up over their face and have that serve as a mask. And that actually didn't meet requirements for a couple of the airlines. They had to have medical grade masks. Um, so again, I mean, those things are just, there's just a lot of moving parts that you need to be aware of. I know at the outset of the discussion, one of the things that came up was the PCR testing. And I had to have a negative PCR test within 72 hours of the departure time of every one of my flights. And I actually flew from South Dakota to Denver to catch a connecting flight to San Francisco and from San Francisco to Doha, Qatar. And my last flight was from Doha to Islamabad. And that 72-hour window had to cover every one of those flights. Mm. So for me to time that test um, within such a tight window was very stressful because, again, if any of those flights had rescheduled or been canceled, 
it would have changed, you know, whether or not that test was acceptable and I would have had to have redone it. Right. And you got to, you, that's part of your contingency plan, right? Is thinking that yeah. if I do, then I know I'm going to be looking at this much more expense. I'm going to have to, to yep. worry about rebooking flights, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it could get that's very, right. very expensive. Oh, very quickly. And my test was 225, very similar to kind of what we talked about or what you were talking about at the beginning of the show. 225 a test. I was really lucky that the 225, the one test, I timed it perfectly. I drove up, had a 4 p.m. test and caught a 1 p.m. flight the next day and was able to make all of my connecting flights on that one. Then when we landed on the other end, we had to have a negative PCR test. Um, but again, there's contingencies. What if I, what if any of one of those tests come up positive? So in any of that process, am I denied boarding? Am I, I mean, is that something that happens before I take the trip? Fine. Then I just go home. But if it happens when I'm transiting, what if I have a positive test when I land in Islamabad and I'm basically just stuck quarantining in a hotel for two weeks in Islamabad until I can be transported home? And what if I get sick? And that's at the mercy of whatever country you're in, how long you're going to be quarantined and where you have to go. So again, that expense, that could be covered under the medical insurance um, that I saw. There's a bunch of companies, like I said, offering medical insurance and that's where that would step up. And that might be part of your your planning, you know, get the the extra medical insurance that covers a COVID um, uh, problem. Jim, is that a top-up insurance? Um, I'm not sure if it's an add on to what it is, but there's a number of companies offering it, which means obviously they see there's some money to be made in it. And it's probably going to become the new norm, isn't it? It's going to be added on to the things Mm -hmm. that we, we already do. Yeah. I mean, it's just logical that they do that, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Because these guys aren't making any money at the moment as travel insurance companies because they're not issuing any policies. So they've got to rewrite their policies to make it possible. Sure. But with with everything being so volatile right now, you think that the risk would be very high, which would mean the price must be very high. I didn't check into the price, but I can imagine it being expensive. Well, since um, COVID's kicked in, um, the insurance travel insurance company that I've been using for, I don't know, the last 10, 12 years, they have stopped um, covering um, with travel insurance. Oh, wow. They've just pulled the plug on it. Hmm. Well, I'm sure that will sort out. I know that's the initial reaction for everyone, you know, or a lot of people, a lot of companies in this sort of thing is to say, you know, to panic and step back. But as we get more used to, and I think we are getting more used to living in a COVID world, that sort of stuff is going to be worked around. And then, like I say, these companies that are offering it and pretty soon it will be, I would think, a standard with most any company that wants to remain um, relevant in the travel industry would have to start offering some sort of coverage for COVID. Once people start moving again and there is enough numbers, because if you're a travel insurance company and you've got 10 customers. Yeah, that's not so good. One of them has a problem. It's not going to (laughs) work. No. So that's why people are stepping back from it for sure. So as soon as people start traveling again, okay, then it'll get reasonable again. Right now, yeah, sure, it's going to be expensive. Stepping back a little bit, I think that there are advantages in the direction that we're being um, forced to go by the circumstances. And one of those, and I know I've said this before, but it is relevant, is that as we're traveling and as we're planning our trips, we're actually going to be looking to the countries to the side of us in the direction that we want to be going. So, for example, if I was wanting to go down the length of Africa, then I would be looking to the countries to the side of where I'm uh, you know, planning to go next. 
Because if the country in front of me um, closes down for for some reason, um, then I need to know already about what's going on to the sides of me and what the possibilities are. And I also need to know about what the um, the ports and the freighting op- air freighting opportunities are in the country that I'm in. Um, and I think that this is actually kind of good in a way because I've I've always just really sort of planned a route and I've learned about the countries along the way as best I can and the time that I've got and the, the accessibility to information and that's the way I've gone. And yeah, of course, you know, I flexed because somebody, for example, when I was in Zimbabwe told me what an amazing country Namibia was. So I thought, well, hey, you know, if, if these people are telling me it's that fantastic, then I've got to go that way and I've got to try it. But I think if I was traveling in these times, I'd already know what a fantastic country Namibia is because it's, you know, just a couple of countries over. And um, it gives me the chance to know that much more about the continents that I'm traveling in. I'm also wondering whether we're going to start seeing something different with um, international shipping companies. Now, there are some that specialize in air freighting and um, shipping uh, motorcycle travelers around the world. And um, I, I wonder whether they are going to start developing programs whereby they do a sort of a premium service. So in other words, when you ship with them, freight or sea, you sign a, um, an extra deal and you pay extra and they keep tabs on the countries that you're going through. And if they see something that is wobbly in front of you, then they ping you an email and say, head to this country and head to that place. Um, you can fly out there and we've got an agent there. And I wonder whether these sorts of things are actually going to start happening. They make sense for the shipping agents, don't they? Because they're keeping their business, they're giving good customer service, and they certainly make good sense for um, we overlanders. It makes me think of the the times we've talked about um, people who, who travel, well, well, how much planning you do when you're going to travel and people who like to travel without doing too much planning. And it, it's almost like, well, I, I guess like everything nowadays is becoming more complicated where I guess that spontaneity is, is not going to be quite there. You know, you're going to have to, like you, you mentioned paying attention to the countries on either side, but definitely if something happens at a border and you, you can't get into that country that you're planning to go to now, all of a sudden you're looking, where else can I go? Can I get in with the, the paperwork that I have with the vaccines that I have, et cetera, et cetera. So I wonder if that's going to put us into a mode of more uh, pre-planning. Yeah, there's going to be more research needed to be done for sure. It's going to take more effort and more time and, like you said, less spontaneity. But on the other hand, as Sam was saying, you're going to know more about where you're going and you're going to be better prepared. And I think you're going to need to be. Heading sideways again. <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed recently is that there are fewer and fewer people um, muttering about um, the thought of carrying a vaccination passport. And my attitude has always been right the way through this that overlanders, for as long as I've been traveling, have had to carry such a thing um, to, to get to a, a great number of parts of the world. And the yellow fever, which Shirley mentioned earlier on, that was the, the, that's the classic, isn't it? It was there to present the, protect the people of the country you were traveling to a respect and sanity thing, not an insult or withdrawal of free freedom. Actually, having one gave us freedom. It was so simple, wasn't it? You got vaccinated, you got your document, a certificate or pass, whatever you want to call it. You showed it at the border. And so long as there were no dodgy border guards, in you went. It was just not a big deal. It was just what you did. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more just simple acceptance. And that, again, is one of the things that makes me feel um, quite optimistic about what's coming next. People's mindsets are changing. 
Well, and that's what I was saying at the start. I mean, it, it gets to the point where it doesn't matter what you believe or whether you agree or whether you think it's convenient or inconvenient. If a, if a country has that as a rule, well, that's the rule. You know, if you want to get yep. in there, that's what you got to do. I think we have to remember it's their country. It's their rules. We do what they want, not what we want or what our rules are. It's their country. So we have to abide by those rules. Absolutely. We're the guests. We're the visitors. Yeah. And we're not going into those countries saying that we're better than anybody else because we come from X country. We're going there because we want to learn, explore and experience. And to do that, we have to fit in with their laws and regulations. I'm seeing quite a few comments um, over the last few weeks about overlanders becoming an endangered species. <laughs> I actually think that Darwin, with his comments about those who adapt, would have been proud of us all as we go through the next years. I think the next generation of overlanders are going to be a wonderfully innovative bunch. And that saying it's all been done before is going to have far less relevance. And I think the next generation of um, overlanders are going to be trendsetters, not the disadvantage. They're going to be clued up, they're going to be sharp, they're going to be flexible, and they're going to be opportunists. And just the thought of it makes me, it makes my skin tingle. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential. And it's, and it's certainly with, with technology and the internet, stuff that we've said before is almost taken away from travel. That's going to make it possible to do, which otherwise might be wholly impossible uh, because you'd show up at borders not knowing what you need and not having what you need. Uh, now, at least we have those tools, thanks to the internet, to find that stuff out in advance and, and be that informed traveler. So yeah, I think what you're saying makes perfect sense, Sam. It could change the, the face of the traveler. And it's never going to alter the fact that things are going to go wrong. But that's one of the things that historically has been the way of travel, isn't it? And that's where a person finds out how ingenious, how innovative, what strength of character they've got are, and how lucky they are too, because sometimes it is just down to luck, isn't it? But Mm -hmm. that's overlanding. Things don't run smoothly most of the time. It's what you make of it. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens, isn't it? It is it's going to be interesting, but, but I, I do think that it'll just be, and I think we all probably agree with this is it, it, it's going to become the norm and, and it'll be like talking about the yellow fever card, you know, like a ho-hum sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I remember my yellow card very fondly. At least I had it and I could show it and done. Um, no problem. As opposed to, if you don't have your, can't find your card, you're going to have to get another yellow fever shot. What, here? Yeah, that's the scary bit, what here. Yeah. <laughs> How many times has that needle been used before? I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's take a, a quick break and um, then we'll come back and uh, and talk about some impolite things that a house guest or a traveling guest should never do. So this uh, this episode is supported by Fresh Tracks, freshtracks.co.uk. They've been around since the 90s and they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, build communication skills through team building exercises. And they work with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Yahoo, Comic Relief. And so you can imagine uh, if they work with companies like this, they could probably do something for you and probably a, a really good thing to look at in, in this new world that we live in um, as we're talking about COVID and certainly all this uh, new um, work environment that we have, work from home. And then, of course, everybody went from work from work at home to not work at home. I heard all kinds of talk about companies forcing people to go back to, to work at the company. And now they're flipping back the other way again, work from home again. So I guess we'll see where this all goes. But um, Fresh Tracks uh, might be able to help you out with your company. Have a look at Fresh Tracks co.uk is the website so um our our the other thing we're going to talk about is um impolite things that uh, a house guest should never do now now if you think about this 
we've probably all had a moment or two where we did something that wasn't culturally acceptable. Now, now before you shake your head, think back when you were a kid and you were told to take your, maybe your elbows off the table. Maybe you were told you couldn't whistle in the house, you couldn't wear a hat, um, on and on and on. That, or you were scolded for something that, that you did or, or, or the way you said something. And, and the reason it was likely, I'm, I'm assuming that we we're all like this, we we're all really good kids. And the only reason we did it is because we didn't know. We had no idea that we shouldn't whistle in the house. We had no idea we shouldn't put our, our elbows on the table or no idea we shouldn't take the food that we don't like and feed it to the dog under the table. That that's all, you know, just innocent things. And isn't that the same when you travel? You know, you, you go into a place that has a, a different culture, a different way of doing things, and it, and it would be so easy to offend someone. Um, has anyone had that? Has anyone had a, a moment where you got, sort of got your hands slapped? Not not terrible. Well, I actually hope it is terrible. This, this will make a better story. But have you got your hands slapped um, in another country for doing something that was culturally unacceptable? Jim, I've just taken my elbows off the table and I, I'm going to take my headphones off for a second because I need to take my hat off. Did you do that automatically when I said that? You said, oh, geez. I did. Yeah. I did. I smiled big time. <laughs> but but has no one been caught? And if not, why? How, how could you have done that? How can you How could you go to another culture? Michelle, you just just went to, to Pakistan. How could you go there? I'm assuming knowing little about um, their culture, in particular, you know, those, those finite things that you can or can't do. How did you do that and not find yourself in a position where you might offend someone? Oh, well, I mean, I guess I take I take it very seriously when I'm traveling to another country and try and do a little bit of online research at the very least before I go about some of the mannerisms or culture uh, differences, cultural differences, so that I'm respectful. I really take that seriously before I go. I try to learn a little bit of the language so that some of my very first words that I know in another language are please and thank you. Um, thank you is usually my first word. Um, I think once in Pakistan, I walked into a building with my shoes on and I normally leave them at the door, but had forgotten kind of in the hurry of the moment was running into a hotel front desk to ask a question and uh, came through like a, a, what would normally be the wing where the rooms are and you do, you don't have, or we didn't have shoes on in that part of the building and traipsed right through into the lobby. And, and so kind of had a faux pas and got a couple of uh, dirty looks, which were rightfully deserved, but um, I, I did pretty well. And I think I pick up on social cues from in that position. We were really lucky um, in Pakistan because we had a guide. And that's such a benefit that, you know, I really had not traveled with that before to have that person kind of offer that coaching and that insight on ways to, you know, not, not uh, do the wrong thing and, and, um, you know, have some faux pas. One thing that we had happen, a group of us had stopped for breakfast alongside of the road. We were riding up in the Murray Hills outside of Islamabad one day and a group of, of locals had stopped by in their car. They'd pulled over and parked and wanted to come over and take some photos. And one of the women in our group instinctively just reached out to shake a man's hand um, to say hello and as a way to greet them. But Muslim men are not allowed to touch other women other than their wives. And so these men, you know, one of them, I think, was a little more um, outgoing and I didn't take offense to it, but a couple of them were kind of off put by the situation and withdrew their hands and really backed up from us and stopped taking photos. 
And our guide came over then and told us what had happened. And, and that was something, a mistake that we didn't repeat through the rest of the trip. But it was, you know, just something very quick and very innocent. You know, we were trying to say hello and, you know, obliging for their request to take pictures and just this innocent outstretched hand from a woman in the group saying hello, wanting to shake a hand was was really um, something that kind of shut down the whole situation and it was awkward, but it was a great learning opportunity. And and at the end, you know, the, our translator kind of explained and the guys understood we were foreigners and everything was totally fine. Uh, but yeah, there's just small faux pas that you're not aware of that you can easily make a misstep at any time. What, what if you didn't have the um, your guide? How would you, how will you explain that to them? How, how do you deal with it? <laughs> I think it's uh, it's certainly a lot of things are lost in translation, but I, I mean, even with language barriers, even with, you know, cultural differences in, in, um, you know, customs or gestures, you pick up on those things pretty quickly. And I, I really feel like when I go into a new country, I'm just pretty conservative. I don't normally reach out hands, even when I'm traveling, you know, by motorcycle, I, I wave at people and smile and say hello. I don't often reach out a hand myself to shake hands. And that's, you know, it's just a, a custom that, you know, is, is something that I've not really ever embraced that much. Um, mm. But I, I think you just kind of have to take social cues. And I, I'm really more of a person who mirrors what other people do. So as I'm going into an environment or coming up to a border crossing, I mirror the kind of social cue. If people aren't making eye contact, if they're looking or acting a certain way, I very much mimic and mirror those behaviors to try and fit in as much as I can. Michelle, that's a really thing, lovely thing to be saying because it is it it just works so well. And Birgit and I quite often will stop for two or three days when we cross the border into a new country and we'll just people watch. See how they're mm-hmm. reacting to each other and how they're behaving and the things that they do and don't do and so on. And you can pick up so much, so much by just people watching. Um, it, it's a simple thing, but it's so respectful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Shirley stuffed up rather badly in Iran, I've got to say. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's old habits. Old habits, yes. And we were saying, saying goodbye to our friend Alex Simpson in the street outside our hotel in Tabriz. And Australians, particularly me, you get a hug and a kiss goodbye. Well, the intake of breath from the 50 Iranians who were standing around looking at the two motorbikes when Alec and I have embraced and I've kissed him on the cheek, you, I'm surprised it didn't suck the oxygen out of his eye. That's true. It's so true. Surely they were all envious of Alex. <laughs> well, they were just probably thinking, how lucky is he to have one of those cheap Western women with him? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, you, when you're staying in someone's house, it's um, don't, don't treat it like a hotel, you know. Mm-hmm. We've had people that, um, one in particular, who would stay in a room and then come down and have dinner and then disappear up to the room again. They were going through well, a marriage yeah. breakup. That's another thing that is a real no-no. When you're staying with people, don't have a marriage breakup in their front room. <laughs> <laughs> Just puts a dampener on everyone's day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Try and mix. Uh, we had um, a friend staying with us um, whose German dad came out and stayed with us as well. He could not speak a word of English, but we had an absolute ball, you know, just because uh, you don't 
uh, speak the same language, you can still get on and, and mix and have fun and laugh and joke and all that sort of stuff. So uh, my big tip is you, you don't treat it like a hotel. We had um, our friends, Bert and Heidi, stayed with us and Cheryl's working in her office and I'd come home and, and Heidi would have vacuumed the floor and they'd have something on the cooking up for dinner and, you know, it was just wonderful. And they stayed with us for months. We got to treat our house like a host. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, you're probably <laughs> insisting they stay. No, no, stay longer. <laughs> when I go to stay in someone's house and I've been invited by, um, you know, people that I've met online uh, through motorcycling communities, through Horizons Unlimited, and I'm always so grateful that they're very generous. They're willing to take in a stranger, even maybe just for dinner or if I'm going to come and stay. I try to take a small gift if I can, something from my culture. I travel with, you know, a few little things. Maybe it's magnets or a little pin with uh, my country's flag or something like that. Um, or I pick up something local, maybe some flowers or, you know, a six pack of beer or a bottle of wine or something if I can. Um, yeah. I try to take a gift. I can't always do that. Um, always leave though a thank you note when I'm leaving and I really try not to overstay my welcome and I'm always very mindful of the fact that I'm very much here as a guest mind my manners I don't get too comfortable or get too relaxed don't take things for granted Um, I've seen other travelers abuse generosity and stay a little bit too long help themselves to things in the fridge and you know, I, I I feel like that's just not very respectful of your hosts. So I, well, I definitely try to avoid that. How do you well, know you, you've stayed to, or how do you know how long to stay? Because Brian, Brian and Shirley just had that example. They stayed for months um, because they were getting all that free labor. And, uh, <laughs> and, and but other times, other times Shirley has made it very clear that they're like a bucket of prawns. They have to go, uh, a bucket of prawns in the sun, rather. Uh, they have to go yeah. in, in three days. So h- how do you know how long is, is the right time? I think it very much depends. And oh. for me on the person, it depends on your friendship, your relationship and, and, you know, and you kind of sense it through discussions. If you feel like you could sit up all night talking for days and days and you're really getting on well, that's a very different situation than, you know, you're staying a night and feeling like you're tiptoeing around and, you know, that you're not really having a lot of, um, you know, good dialogue and you're not having good conversations and chats and story sharing, then, you know, maybe it's time to move along. But mm. yeah, I mean, I definitely usually try to go by the two night rule as a rule one night if you're getting in late you don't have much chance to interact and kind of you know sit and visit with your host so maybe two but it it very much depends on how you're getting along yeah and and our german friends were friends not not um, yeah not visitors not travelers we'd met on the road but i think travelers that you meet them on the road road, sure but they became great friends but um i think people that as michelle said if they're strangers or you you don't know them one or two nights it's great you get to experience you get to share and you don't um make a welter of their hospitality yeah and and one of the rules that i use is is you leave before you think you should 
That's what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. That, that's what I was yeah. going to say. I was going to say leave on idea. a high. So leave it on a high. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're almost better off to leave instead of waiting for that natural uh, bell curve to drop off of engagement between the, t- the two or, or, or between the two parties. You're better off in my mind to leave when it's still a high, leave them wanting more. So they're saying, no, don't go, you know, sort of thing. And you leave on that high rather than waiting for that. Yeah. I smell the prawn starting to go. <laughs> I know it's time. I know it's time for me to leave, you know? Yeah, everybody leaves and everybody's happy mm-hmm. rather than, well, when are they leaving? How yeah. soon? Rather than, well, I had enough of them, so it was good they left today, yeah. you know, sort of things. That, that might be better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's important. We're, and we're travelers, aren't we? So we're supposed to be traveling and a couple of days here and a couple of days there. That's all really nice. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get on and see the next place. There are lots of cultural things around the world that um, we can be aware of. And going sideways from something Michelle was talking about, um, when you're staying in a, a home in quite a few different parts of the world, but particularly Muslim countries um, uh, and um, Hindu countries too, for, for that matter, um, talking to the woman of the house is considered to be an insult unless you've been introduced, unless you're invited to do so. So it's learning those sorts of things. I mean, in India in particular with that. Um, and this is one of the reasons where traveling as a male-female pair can be absolutely brilliant because you get to see two sides of a household that just a male or just a female wouldn't see. And that, another one that um, stands out in my mind, um, yeah, have I phrased this right? Yeah, okay. Um, some countries have really narrow underground waste pipes that were never designed for toilet paper. So when you see a basket next door to the toilet, don't bung your toilet paper and your, your your tampons and things like that down the toilet. Do what the locals do. Put it in the basket. Or if you're shy, then take a plastic bag in with you and seal it well and then get rid of it the next day you're out. And there are many um, parts of the world where this is the case. Um, some countries, clearing your plate um, at the dinner table will make the, your host feel like they haven't fed you well enough. And so if you empty your plate, um, their tradition is that they will keep putting food on, on your plate until um, you know you, you, you can't possibly ram any more in. And that's normally <laughs> when you realize that something's gone big time pear-shaped. But China and Mexico, two extreme countries, but they both have this rule. Yet Japan... It's considered to leave rude to leave food on your plates because they have such a real waste not whatnot culture. So learning these sorts of things, I think, is just you know a real part of of the fun of travel. These little um, cultural nuances, and there are still many parts of the world going back to the toilets because we're travellers, you see. So we talk about toilets a lot. It's normal, <laughs> isn't it? Um, <laughs> toilet, toilets, and shit. Um, uh, in in many countries. Um, you, where you eat with your hand and not with a knife, fork and spoon, um, then always eat with your right hand. It's This is just more and more knowledge. But um, if you're an, a novice traveler, well, you use your left hand to clean your backside. So it's always your right hand. Um, yes, us lefties have a real trouble, tough time with that. <laughs> uh, I was going to talk about that and Shirley said, no, don't talk about that because she's a lefty. So am I, yeah. All right. Yeah. Three lefties here. Wow. For <laughs> once, we're not in the minority. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd known that earlier. Jeez, I was, was going to make a note of that. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> uh, there's another one, and I, I did fall foul of this. Um, I didn't realize that my bike was dripping oil. 
and I'd been invited to stay in a house and they had this lovely terracotta courtyard that oh. the bike was allowed to come into and I didn't look. And the next morning when I went down, there was a good 10-inch puddle of oil seeping oh. into the cracks in between the slabs and all that sort of thing. And of course, I was totally embarrassed by this. From that time onwards, I always check to see whether there's anything dripping underneath my bike when I'm staying somewhere like that. Mm, just ask for a piece point. of cardboard automatically. Just Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We have a friend who has an old car, and when he comes to visit, <laughs> he parks on our lawn because he doesn't want to drop oil <laughs> on the concrete. <laughs> and I had to point out to him that we care more about the lawn than the concrete, so please drip oil <laughs> on the concrete and Don't not care. our lawn, which you have to really nurture in a climate like ours. Whereas you end up with a big brown lawn, big brown spot on your yeah. lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. Territory marking. Oh, I was in, uh, we, we were travelling through, where we at? This we stayed with a guy and I was going to change the oil on the bike. So we're in a compound in Islamabad that my mate was a uh, um, liaison officer for federal police over there. And um, so I had a full container of oil on the seat of the bike and we went to bed and and we woke up in the morning and it was like there'd been a massacre in the courtyard because the dog had got hold of the black container of oil and punctured it and spread it all around. Oh, no. <laughs> How do you recover from that one? Just get on your uh, bike and leave? Run. Yeah, yeah, right. well. The worst part of it was this guy had, because of his position and the local structures and cultures, he had a houseboy. And poor Faisal was trying to clean up this oil, which was all over the bike, all over the yeah, garage, oh, all yeah. over everything within 20 feet of our bike. And I just felt so sorry for him. I thought, just leave it, Jay. It'll be fine. Oh, and that's that's the other thing. <laughs> Faisal, the, the houseboy, um, we, we wanted to wash our clothes and things like that, and we like to do our own thing. And, and he actually said, please, Mansab, don't do that. That is my job. I will be out of a job if you wash your clothes. I'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just share a little story with you. But Faisal did our washing. Uh, and everything was beautiful and folded up and we left Islamabad and we went up into the Karakora Mountains and, you know, it can get a bit chilly up there, Michelle. So Brian yeah. went to get his um, long johns uh, to put on. Uh, they not only wouldn't have fitted him, they wouldn't have fitted me, they possibly <laughs> wouldn't have fitted a four-year-old child because they had shrunk in the washing process. <laughs> oh, no. Nothing but They put water. them through the dryer. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, I was called that. <laughs> when we first started our big trip, we headed off and we ended up in Mexico. We went down to Mexico, Central America. And the first thing we really noticed was even on the hottest days, all the men and the women were wearing long sleeves, long pants. Nobody was wearing T-shirts. And that was kind of our first clue about culture, like, like that really hit us. And it's a million degrees out here. I'm dying. And yet nobody's wearing T-shirts. What's going on here? So that was a clue that that's the culture. So we learned to go with the culture. And from then on, wherever we went, we would really pay attention just as we're driving into town. What are people doing? How are they dressed? What's the style? Um, 
and and learn to adapt. And like I think um, Michelle was saying, you learn to mimic what the local people are doing. Yeah. And that was a, a real, a, a really good lesson. I think it was, it was something that's really been important and it's helped us a lot since. Um, and I was going to say something else and I've now lost it. Grant, if you were walking around in your shorts and t-shirts, you'd have been walking around in your underwear, wouldn't you, in, in that in that sort of culture? And of course, yeah, well, you yeah. can imagine how many raised eyebrows you'd got if you did that. Oh, yeah. No, it was just totally unacceptable. And it, it was obvious right up front. No, you just don't do that. So, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, and it's like Sam often says about respect thing. It's respect, isn't it? It's um, yeah. you may think it's ridiculous to 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 have a, a long sleeve shirt on such a hot day in such a high heat, but out of respect because you're the guest, then you you do like the locals do. Yeah, and you've you've come across it surely going into churches and things like that. And remember, we rode up to um, a monastery in Meteoria. And uh, you had your baggy bike pants on and all the rest of it. You weren't allowed in because no. you didn't have a dress on. So I had to change yeah. out of my bike pants into a skirt on the side of the road, which I think was probably a little more <laughs> indecent than if I'd worn my bike pants into the church. But <laughs> they insisted. So by the side of the bike, I dropped the pants and put the skirt on. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's churches in Central America when we were there. This is in the 80s, and I know it's certainly loosened up. But Susan had to wear a scarf into the churches. It was okay yep. to wear pants, but had to wear a scarf on her head. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't wear shorts when we were in Italy. You couldn't wear shorts into a church. And you no, did not. have to, in certain um, Christian environments, you have to wear a scarf. It's not that long ago that you had to wear a scarf inside a Catholic church in um, yeah. in Australia. And for those of you, that is Joey, who's just come in. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing about cats. They don't care what you're doing. <laughs> When they want something, they want it now. And I mean now. Like, and he's a very talkative cat. So. Yeah. Um, there's another one here. Don't take inappropriate gifts for families when you're going to stay with them. Um, it's worth doing a little bit of research with that too. Um, and there's another one that I've seen happen is where um, visitors to a household have given the children sweets without asking for permission first. And that has been a big no-no. So you again, shouldn't do that in Australia. Or give kids sweets. Uh, well, without asking, yeah. Well, that sugar might be bad for them and they might be allergic to colours. And what if it's got peanuts in it? Oh, oh don't yeah. start. Yep, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. What, what what other do you guys have anything that that is is um something you wouldn't expect that w- that is offensive somewhere that you've run into something that seems completely ridiculous patting what? a kid on the head yeah patting a yeah, kid on the head. head yeah mm-hmm. that's not done in some places I can't even remember really? where it is now offhand it, but yeah that's a Muslim no, 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 country no. thing I think yeah. too yeah you're right and yeah. you definitely don't pat a, a person on the he- a child on the head in um, Vietnam yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big no-no there. What does it mean? Yeah. Um, if you touch anybody on the head in Vietnam, um, Vietnamese, particularly the the ones that are very steeped in in historical cultural religion, um, they believe that they have a genie. Um, no, actually, no. The genie is on the shoulder, so you never touch somebody on the shoulder because if you do, you you, you knock the genie off the shoulder, and that means that they're going to have bad luck for the rest of their lives. If you touch a person on the head, there, um, that's the equivalent to decapitating them. So they will never rest when they die. They will live for the whole of their lives knowing that they will never rest when they die. Can you imagine having to live with something like that? I was just thinking that. Yeah. 
That's yeah. that's that's a pretty heavy thought process to. Yeah. Hmm. I remember that's being in Indonesia. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I was in Indonesia one time and something similar there. If you touch a person's head, it's something akin to opening their spirit up to evil spirits. And it's mm-hmm. it's a huge mm-hmm. no-no. And I think yep. for the entire first year of an infant's life, they're never allowed to touch the ground. So they don't spread out like a play blanket or something on the floor of a house and allow the baby to be playing on a blanket. For the entire first year of a child's life, they're carried or they're kept on furniture. And so people pass babies from person to person to person. And uh, yeah, you don't want to be the unfortunate person who puts one on the ground to, you know, have a little lie down or a wiggle on the floor. So well, lots of unusual things. Mm. It's pointing yep. your feet at people too. Like if you're yeah. sitting on the ground and you're stretched out, don't point your feet. I'm not sure what. There's lots of things. I think it's worth reading up on the country's culture, like specifically looking for cultural tips and tricks on the country you're going to. Um, and one of the things that always comes to my mind is hand signs. You know, there's lots of countries that are big on hand signs, you know, thumbs up, and, you know, what is it, the, the two fingers or whatever. There's all kinds of hand signs that we use commonly. Mm-hmm. Don't use any of them because half of them are major insults and going to start a war in some places. Yep. Just in some countries, thumbs up is uh, the equivalent of saying up yours to them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So just no hand signs. Just nod your head. Everybody's okay with nodding your head. Thank you, etc. Keep it simple. Can I share a hand sign story with you? And it's an Australian, sure. very Australian story, and it happened to our Prime Minister. When they started vaccinations in Australia, they did one of those great political photo opportunities where they got our Prime Minister to get his vaccination with a, um, an older woman who was in a um, residential care home. And after they both had their vaccinations, our Prime Minister did the V for victory sign, and the lady looked at him and thought, oh, I can do that, and did it in reverse, which of course <laughs> means something completely different. And Brilliant. it was hilarious. It certainly made sure that everyone saw our Prime Minister getting his vaccination because every news service showed the clip of the old lady looking at him and going, yep, right, and giving him the two fingers. It was hilarious. Well, um, I, I guess we'll move on to, to plugs. We're getting into that time anyway. So, Michelle, what do you have for plugs? Uh, well, since it's the first of the year, January, I'm getting very busy with um, one of the roles that I serve in the U.S., and that's the Women's International Motorcycle Association. I'm president of the U.S. division. So I just wanted to put that um, bug in anyone's ear if there are any women who are interested in meeting or connecting with other women motorcyclists from around the world, by all means, drop us a line. Uh, Women's International Motorcycle Association is also called WIMA, W-I-M-A. And there's divisions in something like 40 countries around the world. So um, yeah, if anybody's interested, check out our website at wima-usa.com. Okay. And are you doing your um, your film festival again this year? We are. And I don't have anything to share yet, but next month I hope to. We oh, okay. have been doing those for the last couple of years just online. 
And we're doing that again this year online. We've kind of pivoted away from live events because of COVID. Um, and I'm not sure when we're going to go back to that, but we are doing um, more and I'll definitely keep you posted. Okay. All right. I'll have to ask you again about that. Shirley, what do you have? <laughs> Jim, you'd be so disappointed if I had a plug, so I don't have one. No, wait a second, Shirley. No, wait a second. Because I know, I know, I know. No, last I know, year I you said, and it was know, just the last I one know. you promised, you said that's your New I Year's know. resolution. And, you can't and think it's of the anything? First my new, oh, it's the first of my new, new Year's resolutions to break. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and that explains but why. Actually, I can plug Sam's book. I, I know that the chapter we wrote is highly entertaining, if I do say so myself. <laughs> it is. And that's so, the moment um, anyway, collectors. When the, when the link's there, I can highly recommend that. And also um, Michelle's film festival. Um, as you know, last year we were involved <laughs> in the judging, which was awesome. We had so much fun. And I now follow one of the couples that we watched two of their films um, an Australian couple who are travelling around the world with two dogs on their bikes, and they've just been in Spain staying with our friends Chris and Erin Rattay, who are at the moment travelling in Spain uh, with their dog having left their home in Budapest for the winter. So uh -huh. small world through the plugs, Jim. Now, yeah, are, there, yeah. are your friends that are travelling, the, the ones you talked about travelling with the dogs, are they on the back? Like is that two dogs, one on each bike? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. It is, yeah. Um, they they made a short film about when they left Australia, when they had one dog, and then they made another f uh, a feature-length film, and now they're just travelling with these two. They're both rescue dogs, and they're very well-travelled, and they've got little kennels on the back of their bikes. And, um, Jim, I'll get the link because it, it, they're a great couple to if you're interested in travel and you love animals, which, you know, I do both. So um, they're a good couple to watch. I think it's Stuart and Janelle Clark. Is that who it is, Shirley? Yes, it is. Yes, okay. it is. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we had the pack track on some time ago. I'll have to find the link for that and put it in the show notes as well. Now, uh, I was just going to say, I, I, I can't help but think of that dog on the back and the extra things you have to carry with the dog, like the food and the, and the different, all the different things that go along with a, with an animal and surely, and, and you have trouble getting your stuff on the bike. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what is this? Like this is a whole animal we're talking about here. Okay. I'll, I'll just, I'll just. Jim, 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 first I've got Grant having a go about a day pack. And now you're having a go. Now the cat's coming to have a go at me. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that cat. <laughs> Brian. I'm just defending you, Shirley, because you've got you guys are on one bike, not two. Right. Right. It's a big difference. It's right. very problematic because I'd have to have it on my knee and I'm just not thinking that's going to work so well. <laughs> Brian, what have you got? Um, nothing really. Um, oh. Uh, oh, man. Wow. Really? Oh, man. Yep. Oh boy. Okay, Sam, how about you? <laughs> I do. Um, and this is aimed at listeners who are in the UK who love to ride in beautiful areas, both on and off road. There's an event coming up at um, the last weekend in March. It's at um, Hagsbank Bunkhouse and Camping. And this is in Alston, which is in Cumbria, which is right on the edge of the Lake District. The owner, Danny Taylor, is a long-time supporter of Horizons Unlimited in the UK, and he and I worked together for eight years um, on helping to make the Hub UK happen. And he runs a, an HU uh, meet every year at Hags Bank. This event is the March Moto Madness, 
and the focus is on riding fantastic dirt trails that are in the area and the ride guides are top people and they know the area incredibly well um, the bunkhouse and camping are really well put together and the atmosphere is just superb. Food, live music, fire pit and so on. Um, but it's not a big event. So if you like the sound of this, then get get booked in fast. And um, Jim, can we put the um, the link in the show notes, please? Yep. Um, I've been able to get to this and to another event up at Hags Bank and it, it's just a brilliant venue. And uh, Danny and Helen are just super hosts. Um, you see a lot of smiling faces. Yeah, Danny does a great job. He's just a great guy to get along with. Good fun. Yep. Grant, what do you have? Well, I have a few Horizons Unlimited events next year. Not a lot. Mm. We're not sure for, so far. We're we're hoping for, what have we got here? About 12 events, roughly, that we're kind of optimistic, crossing our fingers a whole lot. But uh, check out the horizonsunlimited.com slash events page and see what events are definitely on unless things change in which case they're not on and which events we are hoping for details will come as we confirm always nice to hear definitely well that wraps it up that's january for 2022 thank you very much everyone that was a lot of fun as usual we always enjoy it yeah Yeah, thank you cheers yes thank you Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for traveling overland in latin america both of those titles available on amazon as well she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the chalet motel you can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com and of course grant johnson is from horizons unlimited which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community horizons unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers they also put on the hub meets around the world you can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website horizonsunlimited.com special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin my name is jim martin thank you for listening join us again next time oh and don't forget if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here drop by our website you can also look at the show notes i have some more information in here you can make comments on the show notes adventureriderradio.com 